0: This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, we use up McCoy's nitrous oxide stash. (laughs) Mwahaha!
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show where we're putting the humanities back into science fiction. My name is Gep, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izzex hi this week it's april fool's day oh my really uh, late really late in the yes. year for april <laughs> fool's day <laughs> we've
0: we're been uh, transported to time and space again oh no
1: yeah it happens it's one of the dangers of reviewing science fiction you
0: know uh you, you get accelerated the you know high uh you know uh, percentages of, of the speed of light and then you realize oh it's all relative so you're still standing still but everyone else is moving very fast and then you're like what day is it? I don't know anymore.
1: That's just been my whole year. Oh, okay. <laughs> How fast are you going, Gepwin? <laughs> uh, this episode is uh, called "The Practical Joker."
0: Hmm. I wonder if that has uh, any uh, clues what the plot's about.
1: Oh, probably. It's one of the best named episodes. In fact, <laughs> it's it's pretty <laughs> straightforward.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not you know. Uh, yeah, you know, I've uh, seen the the edge of the world and touched the sky, man. It's pretty cool, yo.
1: <laughs> this was uh, written by Chuck Manville, along with his uncredited in this episode partner, uh, Lynn Jason, who previously gave us Once Upon a Planet. As we said there, they are a apparently quite legendary uh, children's cartoon writing team from this era with many Hanna-Barbera and... And uh, other credits, just any show that you remember from, you know, 60s, 70s cartoons.
0: Also, like the 80s and 90s as well on bits here. But yes, <laughs> we already talked about the bit.
1: Yes. And then again, we have two guest voices with uh, the co founders of Filmation, Norm Prescott and Lou Schiemer, who are playing Romulans. Yes.
0: Wait a moment. They're the founders of Funimation, or Funimation there, and uh, they're playing Romulans. And they're the bad guys. Oh, no, this is some uh, allegory, isn't it?
1: Yeah, someone made the producers bad guys. <laughs> the TV execs are cast as bad guys. Who would have written that? <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, they've both been in a lot of stuff as, you know, producers, uh, some, some voice acting, all that sort of stuff. Including Brave Star,
1: Brave Star. I love Brave Star.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I miss Brave Star. Brave Star is not as remembered as it should be.
0: Yes, <laughs> maybe someday.
1: <laughs> Alright, this episode was pretty good. It was it was okay. In fact, <laughs> weirdly convoluted for what it is.
0: Well, it's uh, a series of escalations, I guess you could say. Yeah, and all based around a, a, a common theme and common cause, and uh, you know it, it it results to some interesting effects.
1: And we'll definitely get to it, but it is the first appearance of what will become the Star Trek staple from the '80s onward. Yes,
0: yeah the uh, the, the recreation deck, as it's called in this episode.
1: Yep. The previously never before seen Rec Room. Yep.
0: Which
1: <laughs> as far as I'm aware will never show up again.
0: As far as uh you know original cast uh, uh goes. Um
1: yeah, with the original cast or referred to as the Rec Room. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, I guess it's technically not quite a holodeck yet. Um, but it is it has a lot of the similar sort of features to it, so
1: we don't know what it is. They don't describe it at all. Yeah,
0: it's like, uh, you go into a space, and then suddenly, we're in a park. Hooray!
1: <laughs> what I thought was funny is that they, the only thing that they mentioned now the thing works is that it definitely uses looped audio tapes.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> audio tapes, specifically, yes. That have to rewind. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very analog sort of uh, environment there.
1: I just love that people don't mention how analog the original Enterprise was, yes. <laughs> and it's awesome. They had they had, um, definitely had some sort of computerized magnetic storage tapes. The computers definitely operate off of some sort of futuristic punch card system. Yes.
0: Like, all right, here is the memory file for this. Uh, it's actually on a, a yellow card I put in the machine, and they're... It now it reads it off and is really kind of slow about it.
1: <laughs> See, the best thing that I've ever thought about this, because they do this in um, Next Gen as well. We'll get to that later. But, like They don't have cloud media in Star Trek. They just hand each other like, data pads and little disks and stuff constantly. I think it's all military security.
0: Might be, actually.
1: They made completely uncopyable, unshareable media. And you have to just physically hand it to the other person so that you can't copy it in any way. And it's all as, as secure as you can because they've discovered that cloud storage is very bad in the future.
0: Uh, my, my other explanation would be that uh, they've just had enough uh, uh, attempted AI takeovers. It's like, yeah, just save
1: this way. <laughs> yeah, that's the Battlestar Galactica. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, you know, watch out for your robot friends, everyone. They might be trying to steal your,
1: uh, your, your data pad there. All right, shall we jump in? Sure. Where are we? The Enterprise is on a routine survey of asteroids. <laughs> ah, cool. Like they do. Yeah,
0: and gotta make sure they don't like they're not about to uh, fall into anyone's plan or something like that, right?
1: The last time they were next to some asteroids, they could randomly explode. So I suppose it's worth doing.
0: Oh yeah. So uh, are these the explodey type, though?
1: They don't say.
0: So let's assume they are.
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's an incredibly uneventful mission until suddenly three romulan warships appear behind one of the asteroids and immediately open fire
0: oh no it's the romulans and they're still using klingon uh, ships because you know consistency i guess
1: <laughs> well this doesn't switch over until uh star trek f- three uh, <laughs> well the uh
0: they, they they in the original series they switched over to klingon ships because it was cheaper. Uh, but this is, they don't really have the ex- excuse here. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, actually, the thing that I just learned, which is very fascinating, is these are Romulan ships. They were originally conceived as Romulan ships. They were introduced in the original series as Romulan ships. They changed to Klingon ships because when they were writing the script for Search for Spock they randomly last-minute changed the main antagonists from Romulans to Klingons and didn't have time to go back and redo the special effects models. Hmm. So they hand-waved it, saying that they have intelligence reports of Klingons now using Romulan ships, but it became so iconically linked with the Klingons that they just started using that ship design ever Mm -hmm. since.
0: Well, I guess that makes sense.
1: (laughs) Which we'll get more to when we get to Star Trek Three.
0: Forward to Star Trek More!
1: So, the Romulans damage the Enterprise and force a retreat. The Romulan commander claims that the Enterprise is in Romulan space. What I find kind of fascinating, we never get confirmation either way yeah, on just this. just like,
0: you're in our space, go away. Uh, are, you, are you sure? Really?
1: <laughs> According to the apparently very ill-conceived treaty that the Federation has with the Romulans, any ship in their space can be destroyed with no consequence. Well, uh, that sucks. What...
0: Wait a moment, Kirk, why didn't you do that before when there was a Romulan incursions in the Federation space?
1: Yes, the Federation is just nicer. It's one of those, like, you know, it's hypocritical for the Federation to randomly kill people because they say they don't want to, but it's, not for the, but it's okay for the Romulans to because they say that they will.
0: And the Romulans look at this behavior and like, aha, suckers.
1: So Kirk thinks that there was nowhere near Romulan space. Again, we don't get a confirmation of whether this is yeah. true or not. It's just... Kirk versus Romulans. This
0: could be a case where the treaty sets up the border in this region of space, but the Romulans have expanded into an area that the
1: Federation was unaware of, maybe, I guess. Oh, what if it's one of those river situations where, like, they they defined the border as this asteroid field and it moved?
0: (laughs) Whoops. It's like, hey, there's an asteroid field we uh, didn't realize was there before. Uh, Let's go check it out. Oh, it's this other one. Whoops. (laughs) Just not in the right place.
1: So just in time for the Enterprise to escape, an unknown, unidentified energy field appears, which they fly into and the Romulans don't want to follow because it is definitely doing damage to the ship.
0: uh, Kirk, you do realize that generally when you fly into an unknown, gaseous energy field like that, it's like some sort of uh, gas monster that's going to eat everyone's blood or something like that. And it's just a bad time, you know?
1: Yeah, they have never in the entire history of Star Trek flown into an unidentified energy field that wasn't itself sentient or imbued something with sentience or broke part of itself off or was some sort of collective being whose kid gets trapped in the engine. Like, th- this always happens. Every single time.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things, like, you just avoid these on
1: principle here. So when they get to the other side of the thing with very little damage and batten down for repairs... Later, the officers are having lunch and toast to their escape, but they all spill drinks on themselves.
0: Wow, oh, you guys are, like, uncoordinated today. What's up?
1: So McCoy knows this one. It's the old dribbly glass trick that they pulled on each other in med school. Because they don't have anything better to do in med school, I guess.
0: Well, it is far future Federation med school. Uh, you you wave a, a device and someone tells you if they're sick or not. So maybe they don't have anything to do <laughs>
1: Yeah, and apparently this is uh, before they had to learn anything about alien physiology, if McCoy's anything to go on.
0: <laughs> it's like, so, uh... We, we, you could, you could get to study humans, and if you take the advanced class, you get to study a Vulcan.
1: Not Vulcans, but a Vulcan. Scotty thinks that the food processor is messing up, and Kirk suggests that they just start eating, but his fork goes limp before he is able to eat any of his food.
0: Oh, Kirk, that's so embarrassing. I... I, I'm not going to go go forward with that joke. Just Let's just move on.
1: <laughs> there is now very little doubt that they have a practical joker on board.
0: Dun-dun-dun, but who could it be? Could it be crewman number 58? 59? Um, maybe Sulu. Maybe he's responsible for this.
1: <laughs> could it be you? Or you? <laughs> or even you? <laughs> Pointing at the camera doesn't work very well in audio.
0: No, not really. <laughs> Well, point at the mic. Uh, never mind.
1: Um, yeah, I could poke it, but that's just going to make an unpleasant bloop noise. So Yes. So over the next few hours, small pranks increase. Spock finds a seemingly useless microscope on his desk that gives him the black eye ring thing. It's like, did anyone actually do this? It's in movies a lot.
0: I don't know. It's like, oh, you have a black ring around your eye. It's all greasy. Um, okay, that's an inconvenient thing. Um,
1: the bridge finds this very amusing. You got smudge on your face. Yeah. Oh
0: that's oh that Spocky's always so so careful about his appearance.
1: And the mascot, he orders a sandwich and the food processor throws food at him in a nonstop torrent, including eventually a pie.
0: Oh. Well, the pie is classy at least.
1: He blames Eriks and Imra's there because they're there and laughed at it, and he says he's going to report them. So ship morale is running very low.
0: Wait a moment. Is this Scottish report? Is this why they're not in the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the movies?
1: Yep, they never struck this from the record. <laughs> like, I remember.
0: I, you're demoted. You're being transferred off the ship. <laughs> but it was the computer that was doing it. I don't care.
1: And on the bridge, Kirk finds that someone has written, Kirk is a jerk on the back of his uniform. Hey, truth in advertising. Then the communication system starts laughing at him.
0: Well, uh, it, as it should, really, but you know, this is a little unusual still.
1: Vapor starts pouring into the bridge from, I guess, the hall, even though it's definitely coming in from the turbolift door.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's an imaginary hall that stands between the turbo lift and the bridge now.
1: Kirk and Spock go into the hall to find it filled with fog. Spock identifies it as legitimate fog.
0: So it's not like it's just a fog machine. It's not like yeah. someone's throwing a rave on somewhere nearby. <laughs> and
1: also the floor is now covered with ice. Cool.
0: Wait, I've seen this trick. It destroyed uh, one of the fraternities at uh, college's uh, uh, upper level there because they decided to put it on the not-basement level.
1: Wait, did someone actually do that?
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it resulted in uh, a lot of uh, damage and... Uh, well, uh, they uh, they had to like effectively mortgage their house, so
1: so they like flooded a floor basically. Yes, it froze
0: it. Oh my god! So they wanted to have an ice ring in, inside their their house. Wow! Oops.
1: <laughs> so on the ship, this manipulation of the environmental control tells Spock that there is only one conclusion: the ship itself is pulling pranks
0: dun 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 are, are you sure it's not somebody who's like manipulating the computer because we've had people manipulate computers before
1: maybe but you know his theory is that the energy field they flew through infected the computer with energy bips hmm.
0: energy mobibbles very specific energy mobibbles
1: <laughs> yeah and sure enough to confirm this the voice of the main computer starts laughing from the comm system again
0: are you sure that's not Nurse Chapel? She could. She, I, she's maybe. She's maybe a remote chance to. Uh, to re- she also uh, hasn't shown up yet. Yeah, she, you know, <laughs> it would be this big surprise here that oh, you thought it was the energy being, but it was actually I, Nurse Chapel, who's been behind all this. <laughs>
1: Though also, I mean, Scotty blamed Imrez for this. True, same voice who sounds exactly like <laughs> the computer and Nurse Chapel. <laughs> Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> Though I guess it can't be Umrez. It cannot be Umrez, because then any time the prank went off, go hmm, 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 hmm,
0: yeah, You'd have to be all kitty-like, meow.
1: Because she did that earlier. She laughed and then purr.
0: Well, you know, she's got to purr you know, if she's happy and joyful and things like that and feeling comfortable with the situation.
1: This is something that I must know now, because I don't. I haven't watched any Lower Decks, but I know they have one of this species as the doctor on Lower Decks. Do they also purr?
0: Uh, not... Uh, I don't remember any particular uh, moments there, but there's, uh, I think, at least some hissing.
1: So this is something that Imrez just does for some reason. That's like a personal choice she's made.
0: Well, if, like, their entire <laughs> species is, like, just cats, like, except people, uh, and so they just have various cat-like traits and things like that. It's just weird coincidence of evolution or something like that, whatever. Um. So Imrez M- there is a generally happy cat while our uh, doctor friend from uh, Lower Decks is kind of pissed off all the time so, okay so ju- so just, you know, just how their general behavior is going to be you know manifesting that <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember the name there uh, I should dang I'll look it up
1: <laughs> at this point Uhura, McCoy, and Sulu decide that this is the greatest time in the world to use the ship's rec room and take some R&R <laughs>
0: No, this seems like a bit good as time as any, I guess. Huh.
1: Um, this is what in modern Star Trek times we would describe as a holodeck. It's a big empty room that's apparently soundproof because the three don't hear Spock calling for everyone back to their stations. And inside, Sulu uses a big console that he pushes buttons in. First, he makes a beach scene. Big old beach ocean appears. And McCoy goes, no, I feel like walking in the woods. So they make the woods and then... Off they go into the idyllic forest.
0: Now the trick is, in either case, they should have gotten naked. <laughs> Never mind.
1: Uh, <laughs> I'm not following the joke. <laughs> well, oh, you know, they go to the beach,
0: you know, to go and relax, man. Take Oh, it's the woods. Oh, well, you we can still relax, man.
1: <laughs> so on the path ahead of them, a giant hole appears, and then branches fall from the trees to cover it, and then leaves fall from the trees to cover that, creating a pitfall trap.
0: This is weirdly convoluted, but okay.
1: <laughs> the three arrive and fall into the pit. The computer finds this very funny, and many falling-related puns are made.
0: Uh, well, uh, I, I guess it's a, uh, a fairly straightforward pit trap, there's no, no, no like spikes or uh, basilisks at the bottom, because uh, otherwise they could be in trouble there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just uh, just pits, it's fine.
0: So only the usual uh, usual damage level.
1: On the bridge, they notice that McCoy, Her, and Sulu didn't answer the general alert, and Kirk queries the computer for their location, uh, but it wants him to ask politely and say, please, this is something that Kirk seems very uncomfortable with. Treat a computer that has AI and talks to you like it's a person with any amount of respect or dignity? How dare you?
0: If you do, the Cylons win.
1: This leads Kirk to have Scotty go to the computer's logic systems to shut it down.
0: Hmm. All right, finally, we're getting somewhere with this.
1: (laughs) All the pranks, the computer pulling pranks I can live with, asking for me to be polite is a step too far.
0: (laughs) So I said truth in advertising about Kirk being a jerk.
1: So Scotty tries to shut down the computer, but as soon as he gets news the controls, the gravity reverses.
0: (laughs) Well, this is awkward. Um... Quick, um, animate everyone being on the ceiling very badly.
1: They do. They <laughs> very much do. Spock suggests that they back off and make the computer feel less threatened, which works. And this gravity returns to normal, but they are no better off overall. Back in the rec room, they've all gotten out of the hole, and now there's a blizzard. <laughs>
0: Well, I guess it's time to chill out. Um,
1: The crew are definitely not dressed for this, especially a in her short, short skirt and boots.
0: So so why do you have, like, extreme temperature controls in this uh, recreation room? Uh, Because you're not really simulating, like, a a ski slope here. It's just snowy.
1: Yeah. Maybe this is why they put uh, safety controls on the next generation of these things.
0: (laughs) That's why the safety controls always have to break.
1: Yeah, they just retrofitted them on very quickly.
0: <laughs> Wait, remember that time an a, a entity or something like took over the Enterprise computer and torched everyone for a while? Uh, yeah, we should maybe do something to prevent that from happening in our holiday. Um, okay, well, um, we'll do a patch, I guess.
1: So outside, the search team has found them but is struggling to pry the open to the very, very jammed doors.
0: Yeah, so uh, are we going to get out the welding torch today or we are just going to be uh, prying? It's a
1: very large pry bar apparently like six feet long
0: i I think uh gordon freeman would love that
1: (laughs) on the bridge kirk finds this very funny so does the rest of the bridge everyone (laughs) on the ship finds everything that's happening extremely funny
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh god (laughs) make it stop
1: (laughs) this is mostly because the computer is pumping nitrous oxide into the atmosphere whoops so uh, this affects Vulcans very badly, apparently. But off-screen, we learn that Spock was able to turn the emergency air supply on just before he was knocked unconscious by the gas.
0: So I'd like to maybe point out two things there that, one, they have this much of the supply of nitrous oxide just on hand that it can affect the entire crew. Uh, that seems like both a terrible idea and probably McCoy's fault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and two, and two uh, we have uh, in the, uh, the rec room... Both Uhura and Sulu, you know, kind of chuckling it up before we go to the commercial break, and then Spock does all the stuff off screen. But we don't hear McCoy during that scene, so I'm going to also assume that McCoy has built up a massive tolerance to it somehow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you can do that. Can you? Can you build up a
0: tolerance to nitrous oxide? I I, I have my doubts, but if anyone, if it is possible in any sort of way, McCoy has.
1: It's like literally cutting (laughs) oxygen off from your brain. Yes. Also, while I know that they mean it to just be the nitrous oxide is affecting everyone, that could also be a symptom of hypothermia.
0: Hmm, true.
1: <laughs> you do start to uh, have brain fog and find everything very amusing like you're drunk.
0: Like that time I got rear-ended. I just found everything hilarious for a while, even though it was like, oh god, this is terrible.
1: Yeah, your brain just does that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Except being really cold instead. <laughs> So, in the rec room, the three have been walking around in the blizzard trying to find the rec room wall. But they can't go on. They've all collapsed in the snow and they're going to all freeze to death. And just then, the room changes into a giant hedge maze.
0: Wait a moment. Is this labyrinth?
1: Yes. Awesome. Just like the labyrinth, that stretches on forever and ever and would take lifetimes to find their way out of.
0: The perfect maze. The perfect trap for our three intrepid adventurers.
1: And just then, the doors open in the hedge next to them because that was the wall.
0: Never mind then.
1: And they find a rescue team standing in the corridor.
0: Hey, Scotty, what's up?
1: I did enjoy this joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my god, it'll take us years. Oh, oh uh,
0: never mind then. <laughs> Good thing we didn't move from the spot.
1: <laughs> With everyone now back on the bridge, the ship is changing its own course, heading back towards where the Romulan ships are. <laughs> This seems like a particularly bad idea.
0: Yeah, so I know you're a practical joker computer here, but are you really suicidal? What's up?
1: Yes, they're definitely all going to be killed, but the computer has other plans. It at some point made a giant balloon version of the Enterprise. (laughs)
0: Like, seriously, bigger than the Enterprise sort of balloon here.
1: When they reach the Romulans, it inflates the balloon and sends it towards their ships. And the Romulans attack it. But because of Romulan pride, they're super embarrassed that they attacked a balloon. Yes.
0: <laughs> so it's like, oh, it's a giant spaceship. Our scanners don't understand it. Fire away. Oh, it popped. Well,
1: that's zombie. So software. they give chase. Yeah. <laughs> they chase the ship, and they're catching up with it, even though the computer's trying to run. This is a bad idea, computer. Yes. <laughs> Get us the heck out of here. Kirk asks if they're heading back to the energy field because he's terrified of it. So much so that even though they're nowhere near it, he's very scared. And the ship goes out of its way to fly into the thing again just to mess with him.
0: Ah, Kirk, you don't want to be there? Well, I'm going to put you there all the time.
1: (laughs) But obviously, Kirk was not really scared of the field. He just wanted the ship to fly into it again because it overload cleanses the infection, I guess. it. You go through it once, you get it. You go
0: through it twice, it undoes it.
1: Because that's how computer uh, viruses work.
0: <laughs> well, maybe it's pulling off a a, a Three Stooges syndrome, um, like with Mister Burns.
1: Yeah, it just got so much overloaded that it, yeah,
0: that <laughs> all the various bits of overload are just competing against each other instead of you know messing up the computer. <laughs>
1: This time, though, the Romulan ships did chase them through the field because their pride was so hurt. And the last thing that they pick up from the comm system is chatter about annoying and somewhat funny things happening on the Romulan ships.
0: Ha <laughs> ha. They're probably all gonna be killed because of this, aren't they?
1: Probably. Well, they did say, should we tell them how to stop it? It's like, not yet. Ha ha ha.
0: might figure it out on their own and plus if we say anything their computers might figure it out maybe but you know we're not going to actually say that out loud but anyway
1: (laughs) now you know i feel a little bad i try to do research for these things this one was pretty light it was difficult to find much but i wish i had been able to find this because it's a question that i constantly have and i've never been able to find anything particular on it culturally i don't really know what kind of like cultural research i'd have to do But it seems like from interacting with older media as I grew up and a little more now, um, the period of time between the 50s and the late 70s seemed completely obsessed with practical jokes as a concept. It was in everything. It was like, oh my god, the practical jokester. Like, these frickin', like... You have a pair of goggles on from the microscope and other things like that that I'm pretty sure no one ever did, but they show up in 50s movies and 60s movies all the frickin' time. You have PSAs warning you not to be too much of a practical joker. You have all these stories about practical jokes in the 50s and 60s from people growing up. Like, what was it with practical joke culture? Why was everyone so obsessed with this? Maybe
0: because people were bored?
1: But people have always been bored. I
0: know, <laughs> but now they have TV. <laughs> I
1: mean, it wasn't particularly boring, affluent time for a certain segment of America, so maybe they were just more bored, and possibly there was the consumerist idea of like these are cheap, easy things you can sell to children. Yeah,
0: uh, I'd also maybe I don't have any uh, research to back this up, but uh, you know, there might be also potentially an outgrowth of. Um, I guess also being bored during World War II at points? Cause, you know,
1: Possibly. Because
0: if you're just, well, we're on a ship for the next three weeks and sometime before then we might get attacked, but uh, until then, what do we do? Other than...
1: though This was always things. a bit of a thing with being bored. I just saw this thing pop up. I forget when it's from, but it predates the... I think it, predates, it may predate the 1900s, but it definitely predates the 50s. Um, It it was just a little thing shaped like a coffin, and it had a little spring-loaded wooden button on the bottom. And what happened was if you pushed the button, it had a tiny needle hidden inside the button, and you would wind up stabbing yourself. This was the entire point of this toy.
0: That is kind of awful.
1: It's like you tricked your friend into stabbing themselves. Congratulations. With (laughs) a button. (laughs) Which I suppose isn't that much different than like hand buzzers or uh I I had a pen at one point. I had like a pen from Spencer's Gifts that like it it looked like a pen, but it had watch batteries inside it, and if you clicked the little thingy it created a electric circuit in your hand and hurt a bit.
0: So a little uh click zap, ouch.
1: Yeah, so I guess we never quite got over that. It's, it's interesting to look at now because we are actually in kind of the death of practical jokes as a concept right now. Like It's gotten to the point where people are even ignoring April Fool's Day because it's turned into such a stupid thing that everyone hates.
0: Uh, there is, I guess, a point of pushing things too far that's like, we're just kind of done with this because it's just painful instead of being funny. Which I guess is sort of the, the, the MO of the practical joke episodes. <laughs>
1: Yeah, at least eventually. I did see an article saying that the kind of uh, rise of YouTube prank culture and online prank culture has kind of hastened this because they're all competing with each other, and it's just most of it is ill-conceived and dumb, and it's just gotten mean and dangerous.
0: So uh, maybe we should bring back those PSAs.
1: Yeah, maybe we should.
0: if you if you are a fan of prank culture maybe we should tone it down a bit so that people don't want to destroy it forever how about that
1: though i did find just for fun according to mental floss i found like a couple of the earliest ever recorded practical jokes oh so um i guess the two absolute earliest recorded practical jokes one is really early one is from like 200 a.d um a ways back. When the teenage Roman emperor, um, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this name, Elagabius. <laughs> Elagabius? Who, who apparently killed a lot of people, like suffocated dinner guests for fun and things. So, you know, I guess that was his idea of fun at fun dinner times.
0: Uh, this guy seems like a jerk face. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. So his early re- earliest recorded like what we would think of as a practical joke from about 200 AD is he had his dinner guests sit on inflated leather cushions then at some point during the meal he had his slaves let the air out of the cushions so that his dinner guests were now seated on the floor. <laughs> Pretty simple but it wasn't even like an early whoopee cushion yeah. or anything this was it this is like, like haha you're on the floor oh. now.
0: So indignant. (laughs) I Alagabas is going to be all like, I'm standing up above you when I'm still sitting.
1: (laughs) One that I've seen a lot as one of the earlier recorded practical jokes is from the 15th century, so a lot later, um, with an English monk who hollowed out an apple, put a large beetle inside the hollowed out apple, and then convinced his monk friends that the apple was possessed because it was rocking around by itself
0: <laughs> oh no it's coming right for us
1: <laughs> so yeah the possessed apple trick yeah, it's, the classic
0: uh, i'm reminded of those uh, one toys that uh, have like the gyro inside that uh, just sort of runs and like it's like a ball with you know, maybe something uh,
1: you know, off the, uh, the, you know,
0: attached to it somewhere.
1: Like, Oh, yeah, the thing with, like, the little ferret tail. Yeah,
0: I, <laughs> and it just sort of rolls around randomly. And it's, you know, it sort of reminds you of one of those.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was about the most interesting. Those were the earliest ones. I did like learning that the kick me sign was apparently popularized in the 1700s in England.
0: No, it's, that does kind of feel like a 1700s England sort of thing to do.
1: Also, this was just fun. There's, There's, like this person like before pizza delivery pranks obviously because it was in the early 1800s when we didn't have pizza delivery but this person just elevated it to an entire new level where he went around to basically every store in london and arranged that they all deliver services to this one random woman on the same day Like, including, like, undertakers and dentists and doctors coming to to her house. I guess somehow even got the mayor of London to visit at one point.
0: Now, now is this mayor of London or mayor of the city of London?
1: It says mayor of London. So probably the first.
0: (laughs) Then again, why not both?
1: (laughs) So, yeah, it's just the, the most needlessly extra pizza delivery plank in history.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it takes a bit of um, uh, effort, that one. Um, then again, she might need an undertaker once she's done with all everyone uh, pop- popping up there. So at least yeah. there's convenience there.
1: <laughs> so anyway, that's all I found on practical joke history. I was trying. I've had a lot of articles on how practical jokes are overplayed and stupid. A lot of things about how um, April Fool's Day is now dead because of uh, too many companies making dumb jokes to for just to like one-up each other's marketing on Twitter and but the brands, a lot of stuff about our practical jokes have never been funny at all.
0: But the, but the brands, they they need you to laugh so that they, they are totally for reals like your friend, ba- man. Come on.
1: One day, April Fool's will just be all of the brands making practical jokes to each other on Twitter.
0: And then they'll leave us the load. Hooray. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be great. You know, there's already a huge section of the internet that is just bots talking to each other. Yes.
0: <laughs> uh, it'll eventually uh, emerge and form Skynet, but uh, we, it's not, we're not quite there yet. Uh, by the way, the, the doctor's name is uh, Ta'ana.
1: Ah, okay. So they all have a, apostrophe names. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so T apostrophe A-N-A. So. She's uh, also uh, kind of hilarious in a very subtle way. Also, generally tired.
1: <laughs> this doesn't really count as a practical joke, but I just thought it was kind of funny, and it's in that vein. Since we, since I mentioned the, all the bots talking to each other online, there's this kind of low key effort that a couple people have done to take up the time of people who are trying to harass others online. Well, I do that sometimes, but this one, I think I forget if the per- I do forget if the person was being harassed first or not. But they basically set up a Twitter. They have a Twitter account and they took it private and then wrote a bot that just posts it posts the same thing. It's a very it's like a rude statement. So I'm not going to say it It includes several curse words, but it just posts that over and over and over about once an hour. (laughs) But because it's private. All the people who were harassing this account just follow it and talk to each other and spend all this time that they could be using harassing other people obsessing over how much they must have bothered this account that they keep posting on private.
0: (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And they just don't get it that they're being played for fools.
1: Yeah, this seems like something we should do. We should just set up a lot of automated accounts on different social media things that just post a bunch of stuff that people would want to harass and take up everyone's time
0: yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's like no it's it's totally for real you know only uh you know a real person would you know care about this niche issue that uh that i'm totally obsessed with and want to harass people about so i'm gonna keep harassing this thing that's obviously a bot.
1: well you just have to get it to post like Every now and then post something that will attract these people like, you know, Warhammer is sexist. Get a bunch of them to come in. Then just post like sensible enough but somewhat confusing argument replies every time someone harasses it. (laughs) And just keep them tied up all day.
0: Yeah, and uh, (laughs) then those folks will be uh, not bothering anyone else because they'll be totally obsessed with this person that keeps feeding their, 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 their urge for interactions on this subject
1: see, you can have, you can just use these things for good if you choose.
0: In fact, it's a uh, you know anti-torture for the rest of us.
1: <laughs> yeah, and this does seem like a complete segue, and in a lot of ways it is. But in other ways, it ties into my other point of this episode. So I'm bringing it back. I'm you know doing my job oh, yeah. here. <laughs> then <laughs> um, this is an incredibly weirdly low-key. What if the computers turn on us? Plot,
0: yes, that is
1: uh, like what if the computers turn on us, but in an annoying way, yes.
0: So they just become kind of a jerk, and that's about it because <laughs> you know it doesn't want to like murder everyone, you know. If that happens along the way, then you know, no, you know. No, no concern for it, but it's not its main focus. It's just sort of like, yeah, I wanted to make you know crazy stuff happen and be annoying. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, it does show that like it's doing some dangerous stuff, and they mention that like they're going to run out of air because they have to switch to emergency supplies because of the nitrous and all these things. But at one point, the crew is getting too hypothermic in the holodeck, and it turns off the blizzard. So I think there's good evidence in the episode that the computer doesn't want to cause them any actual harm.
0: But it will push the limits there.
1: Yeah, it's definitely pushing limits in a dangerous way because it doesn't seem to understand practical joking. Though I don't know what gave it the sense of humor. just got a really weirdly specific sense of humor from this energy cloud. Also, this is just something it does. This energy cloud is the weird sense of humor energy cloud. Yes. Because everything that goes through it malfunctions in exactly the same way.
0: You know, it doesn't matter what format of computer you have or, you know, being from completely different cultures. It's going to do the same thing, apparently. Though, maybe slightly faster than raman, so Maybe they're more prone to practical jokes.
1: They might. Though I really hope that it's not smart. Because they said that they were going to tell the Romulans how to fix it. But since to fix it, you have to pretend that you're scared of the energy field so that the thing will think that flying into it is a good joke. But if you communicate that to the Romulans yes. and the thing hears and understands <laughs> that, you can't pretend anymore.
0: Which <laughs> it might come down to how smart the Romulans computer is.
1: Yeah. So you better hope that the Romulans computers aren't very good. Yeah.
0: Alternatively, you, could, you say... Yo, uh, You know, we want to warn you against uh, going to this one place here. Uh, It's, you know, again, because it's messing up our computer, too, for realsies. And, uh, you know, you don't want to double down on that. That would just be awful. (laughs) Sort of a a second round of reverse psychology, I guess.
1: That was mostly what I had. I did want to ask you, how did the balloon work in space?
0: Well, uh, actually, kind of probably similar to how it works on Earth, because... you know, if you have enough gas inside the balloon, uh, the gas will attempt to sort of spread out, push out, like it would on Earth. You know, just the uh, on Earth, you have the external atmosphere around it that's pushing back. So it would actually be easier to inflate a, a balloon in, in, uh, in uh, you know, near vacuum-like.
1: Which I thought. So, like, they can't just... I guess my thing was they must be using a minuscule amount of gas, otherwise the thing would explode...
0: Yeah, and um uh, it's probably a fairly light material, so you only know, need to push it so so much. And so it don't would I guess the Roman sensors it might seem like like well we can have the thing popping up with visual sensors, but our scans are going like right through it, man, but we don't understand. It's like it's both there and not there. Is it an illusion? But there's you're still taking up some material, so so maybe it's like some sort of weird sensor evading device. Oh no. But no, it's just a really, you know, light materials and a small amount of gas inside.
1: It's like Romulan sensors must be very bad.
0: (laughs) Well, if we're not actually in Romulan space where the Romulans think we are, then that might be another bit of evidence towards that as well. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) the entire plot of this episode is your sensors are broken.
0: (laughs) We don't know where we're at, but we're going to pretend this is our space anyway. So uh, Kirk, die. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and that was the real practical joke all along. So uh, are, are you all for going a little uh, more depressive here for a few moments?
1: May as well. It's it's kind of our thing.
0: Yeah, so um, so uh, throughout this, uh, the, uh, the crew is experiencing these practical jokes, and they're slowly getting pushed to their wits end uh frustrated with the situation that no matter what they seem to be doing, they're always... There's always something new, something else that's going to be sort of disrupting them. Would you say that this is maybe a form of psychological torture?
1: Oh, it definitely is.
0: Yes. So uh, we got a situation where they are basically being uh, uh, taught via this computer that they are uh, powerless, and that they are unable to uh, affect uh, change in a meaningful way or even... Have basic things happen in their lives that they are, you know, are used to. They can't eat without this thing causing issues. You know, they're getting pies in their in their face or their silverware is, you know, malfunctioning. And it's like you're very much in a situation where you're uh, being, you know, you're you're unable to do even the most basic things unless it allows you to. And so that's very much a uh, a, a psychological uh, torture technique. Uh, that is uh, to sort uh, of monopolize the, you know, the, the world, the, the perception of, of uh, you know, your, your environment and those around you, you know, so that the, the only option, the only out is to satisfy this, you know, overwhelming power that has this influence over you. And so it's instilling a game, uh, effective impression of almightiness, as it were, to, uh, you know, to get itself in a position to potentially control the crew. Though it doesn't seem to actually have that agenda. So that's good. Um, but it is very much setting up itself up to be able to manipulate the crew to do whatever it wants if it so wished it. But, uh...
1: I think there's a couple things there. Like One, the crew is 100% actually trapped. The crew is like completely trapped in this situation. Which is one of the things that makes it so bad. They cannot leave this situation no matter what they do. Because they're on a ship and trapped there and depend on the ship for their basic survival
0: yeah so uh, it's not like we could just you know, you know there are there might be shuttle, uh, craft, but they're not showing up this week and plus it wouldn't be able to get uh move the entire crew
1: also that's an interesting point because like um even in abusive situations this could be read as a very abusive situation like it's it's pretty similar to a lot of real-world abusive situations there's
0: a lot of overlap between abusive situations and psychological torture as far as actual behaviors being used
1: like a lot of times um, if you were to question the person in that position who is inflicting this on someone they don't claim to have that intention I think that is a big misunderstanding and a place where you get into trouble when you're talking about situations of torture and abuse because no one sees themselves that way, no one who is inflicting this on another person would say, "I am in this situation specifically to abuse and cause harm to this other person for my own enjoyment." They're doing it for other reasons yeah, I have that they excuse. are not examining
0: yeah, you know, it's you know I need this information out of you, or this is for your own good, or whatever nonsense uh, they have to sort of uh you know paper over their their terrible behavior there
1: even in a situation like this it's simply unable to empathize with the people that it's causing harm to like they're having fun they're doing all these things to have fun one could reasonably assume if you aren't empathizing with the uh other people involved that they're also having as much fun as you
0: yeah, it's all fun and games i say so why aren't a you lot alive? of it
1: tends to be a problem of empathy
0: so, if you're a, a computer that's possessed by uh, space gas cloud, you might not have very much empathy for the crew. Yes. Lesson learned. So let's avoid space g- gas clouds from now on, guys. But uh, there is, I guess, you know, some of the uh, very specific uh, techniques that are on display. You know, you know. Also, we uh, could potentially uh, poke at. Uh, but uh, I don't. Know, I don't want to get too depressing this week because uh, this is supposed to be the funny episode, I guess. Um, but you know, there's instances of specific humiliation uh controlling of the environment um you know messing with people's perceptions of what's going on uh and other sort of things but thankfully we don't go into some of the more like extreme versions of psychological torture like we're not doing mock executions because that's like super messed up and thus would not fit with a practical joke episode still have risk of death but not quite so direct
1: i mean a lot of this you could just read uh some Skinner Skinner experiments
0: I <laughs> know what you talked about with him uh, previously but uh, maybe we should do that again at some point
1: oh, I'm sure we will people love Skinnerian psychology
0: just keeps coming up hmm.
1: isn't it great you don't have to learn anyone's internal experiences
0: <laughs> anything, anything else I want to talk about all this uh, I got bits pieces of notes here but nothing super uh, I guess coherent uh, from this point out um, anything else you want to add to this?
1: Well, this episode was pretty uh, low substance. <laughs> I did find it interesting, but very low substance. Yeah,
0: you know, interesting, but yeah, it's uh, a light snack.
1: <laughs> all right, so with all of that, I think some then some there's snacks. nothing to do. Is this it, is it time to for eat snacks? It's time for snacks. We're gonna get a pie in our It's face, time for we? snacks. It's definitely time for snacks. Also, the galaxy's favorite game show. Woo! <laughs>
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. We're having a wonderful time here. Although, uh, uh, I did locate those tacks in my chair, so whoever put those down, you're on report. arrest Hmm. Ariks? Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, uh, we got our various contestants going on here, and they've uh, been uh, racking up some uh, points here, and so we're about ready to hand out the prizes for today's, uh, uh, outing. So, uh, yeah, so the first one goes to the, uh, is the Fool Dude prize, which goes to the Enterprise computer and uh, its infected form, though only technically, you know, that you know because it did in fact fool people, lots of people, pretty much the entire crew, really, um, including with the fake though non illusionary crew, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, giant Enterprise fooled the Romulans, and I guess also the holodeck too. Uh, but we got some stuff on that later.
1: Um, what what does it win, Gapwin? <laughs> it wins the world's largest whoopee cushion. Um valve because it really missed a trick like one we know there is sound in space in star trek universe so like why did the giant inflatable enterprise not be a giant whoopee cushion <laughs>
0: well maybe it's taken us cues from uh elegabalas uh it's just like you're going to be on the floor now robin's accepted space so there's no floor
1: oh you are on the floor now <laughs> 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 oh, 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 oh.
0: Our second prize is the Holodeck Malfunction Prize, which goes to Sulu or her and McCoy for apparently discovering that there's both a holodeck on the ship and then kind of dealing with it in a way that, you know, that there's malfunctions going on. What do they win, Gepwin?
1: They win more holodeck time. They are the only people on the ship who know this thing exists. So, like, they just get a private holodeck, which is awesome, even if it's stupid, because, like, Going for a walk in the woods is kind of, it's, it's just, it's a dumb holodeck. Like, that's all it can do. Also, I did think it was interesting that they're like, the, they are so much parallels. The first time you see it in here is a forest when they invent it. And then when it's introduced in Encounter at Farpoint, it's a forest. It's just like this. They just walk around in a forest.
0: Hmm. So it's uh, it's a place to stretch your legs, I guess. I Apparently, freeze your ass off if you get a computer malfunction. Hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of lame. But anyway, our third prize is the Stop, Don't, Come Back prize, which goes to Kirk for using reverse psychology to trick the computer into taking them back into that magic glass cloud. What does he win,
1: Captain? Kirk wins the fizzy lifting drink for the Romulans. Like, if you can send it over there they get the fizzy lifting drink and then the gravity reverses full time and it's just another great prank for them. So instead of sending that they need to fly through the thing again in order to save themselves, they should send them this fizzy lifting drink formula.
0: Hmm. I like that. And uh, if they have any problem, uh, you know, uh, getting it to work, they could just try to disconnect the computer and they'll get the same effect anyway. but With less floating, more just being on the ceiling. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, that's all I got here, Gepwin. Uh, feel free to take us away and uh, to uh, another place out in space with maybe more gas clouds.
1: <laughs> yeah we're going to fly away to gas clouds in space, which will make my computer start throwing pies at me. So thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for joining us here on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Ooh.
0: So, oh, uh, I'd like to point out something about the uh, the holodeck there. Yeah? The, uh, the console thing. They bring that back in Voyager.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the little, like... But it's only in that one room where they actually program the holodeck. They have a completely separate holodeck in Voyager to program the actual holodeck.
0: Which I guess kind of makes sense. But, yeah, it is a little weird that there's two rooms for this. <laughs>
1: It does, especially given that in Next Gen, several times they demonstrate that the Holodeck is capable of making fully integrated functional equipment. <laughs> so you need a computer console in the Holodeck, it just appears and can link with the ship.
0: Yes. So uh, Barclay is like, I need to, some consoles here and a thing that will link my brain to the main computer. Uh, just make it happen. Okay, it's here
1: now. Yeah. <laughs> just do it. Even already is able to make levers and whatnot that link to the computer. <laughs>
0: like, I'm going to control the ship with a giant lever. Ha
1: <laughs> ah. ha.
0: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's, uh, I guess they decide to uh, maybe change out the functionality of that uh, so that there's a little bit more uh, dedicated uh, space for uh, that particular function. So I guess it's a smart move
1: if i was one of the people who cared about such things i guess i would see why people complain about there not being enough space on voyager for all the stuff that's on voyager <laughs>
0: uh i guess uh, also uh, speaking of uh you know holodeck technology though uh you know we do have an enterprise uh, we meet some aliens that have a sort of holodeck sort of thing that is actually kind of like this rec room here in that you are it's like oh we are now in this environment, and now we can look out and uh, see the ocean, or this bit of Kronos, or something like that, and uh, we're not really interacting with anyone. It's just, we're there now.
1: Yeah, it's that weird thing where you have to stick your hands in a fishbowl in order for it to function.
0: Well, that was, that was more of the mating practices, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those Klingons are going to be such proud mothers. <laughs>
1: The next episode, it's called Albatross.
0: Hey, some sort of bird?
1: Yeah. um, I'm not sure, because it doesn't seem to have anything to do with what the episode is actually about. But in sort of seafaring stuff, the albatross is this weird, like, shame mark. At least in, you know, legend, because of course this isn't actually what happened. But the idea is that seeing an albatross was good luck, but if someone killed it, it was super bad luck, and then you would make the person that killed it, like, wear it around their neck as a talisman of how they brought bad luck upon the ship. And being that an albatross has an eight-foot wingspan, that must have been very uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to be now carrying this giant thing on me now for a while, until it rots off, I guess.
1: In reality, anytime food got near a boat, they shot it and ate it.
0: <laughs> and then after the fact, if anyone asks, yeah, we, uh, so-and-so did it and we made him wear it. That's
1: what happened to it. So, I'm, and- One, I'm not sure where this myth came from. Also, I don't think it has anything to do with the episode because the episode is about McCoy being tried for mass murder on a planet that 19 years ago he inoculated and then started a plague.
0: Whoops. Um, don't do that yeah yeah well, I guess maybe uh you know McCoy did something that's bad luck and now he has to wear the symbol of his his bad behavior on him now, I guess, maybe
1: I also think this is fun because this is like the third episode in a row where we're getting uh uh Lou uh, Schlemer as a as a guest voice.
0: <laughs> well, maybe he's really just enjoying it, and it's like, yeah, oh, I'll keep coming back. you know, you know James Duhan can't do all the extra voices after all. Come on.
1: I mean, this guy's actually pretty not bad. I wouldn't necessarily have called that it was the same, same person for all three of his appearances. No. Thank uh, you. Next time, Albatross, where McCoy gets probably framed for mass murder? Probably. If
0: he actually did it, uh, you know, I, I suspect they'll be uh, figuring out some way to uh, get him out of uh, punishment before at the end of the episode.
1: I'll, yeah, alternatively, probably.
0: everyone will change weird colors.
1: <laughs> well you can find out what colors aha uh-huh. now you have to listen it's a cliffhanger <laughs> next time on Watchers of Tomorrow
0: next time on Watchers of Tomorrow oh McCoy and his plagues you have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow a podcast on science fiction media Find and follow Watches of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcasts, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on YouTube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix on youtube.com slash Dr. and Twitter at IzzixLP. Music is Waveform and Morris Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, Please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter that you that is now no longer exists.